Today on Tune FM, we're sitting down to talk with Associate Professor Rose Andrew from the School of Environmental and Rural Science. So Rose's focus is on botany and plant genetics, which is helpful because today we're talking about bananas, as a recent study found that Cavendish bananas, the most popular bananas in the world, are at risk from a fungal disease. And, you know, we've seen this happen in the past as well with bananas before, so this is not the first banana that's been threatened. So we're talking a bit about why that's happening and what can be done. So thanks for coming in today. Hi, Ash. Thanks. So I guess to get us started, what is the difference between plant genetics and human genetics? Uh, it depends which plant you're looking at. Uh, some plants, like eucalyptus, have smaller genomes but a lot more variation within species, uh, and other plants have have um, larger genomes and a huge amount of variation. Others are dedicated inbreeders. <laughs> um, so there's a lot, lot more differences between plants than there are similarities in terms of genetics. Yeah, and I think a few people have said this before, and I might be one of them who's read it, is that bananas share a lot of their genome or their DNA with humans. Is that actually true? <laughs> I think that might be an urban myth. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. They're, uh, they're very different, separated by uh, millions and millions of years. Um, but um, like humans, bananas don't have a huge amount of variation within, uh, within their genomes between individuals. Yeah. Uh, the bananas that we eat are uh, clonal, so they're genetically identical to their neighbours. Oh, okay. That, that, I, I didn't know that, so that's very interesting. And that's an issue that we're seeing right now because, as people probably remember from high school biology, the smaller a gene pool is, the more susceptible they are to issues. That's right. Um, wild organisms will um, adapt to a whole range of challenges that they face, including um, pests and diseases. Um, but when you bring plants into cultivation, one of the first steps is often to, to um, remove a lot of that variation because you're breeding for specific characteristics. And so the result of that is that you, your gene pool becomes much narrower. And in some cases, um, having the ability to manipulate clones can be beneficial to breeding. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of our crop plants are, um, are clonal plants. What are the, the detriments of cloning plants, especially bananas? Um, so uh, cloning plants can, um, can make them um, more susceptible because they don't have genetic variation that natural selection can act upon. Um, so in wild plants, natural selection will, um, will favour those individuals that have beneficial combinations of, of characteristics. So they might be resistant to multiple pests in the, in the environment. Whereas um, if you've got no genetic diversity, um, then you're stuck with what you've got. Um, you're relying on mutations, which happen very rarely, mm -hmm. to provide any new resistance. So when you're in, um, in a population that's being bombarded with pathogens, which we all are, um, if you don't have much genetic variation, then the pathogens can often adapt faster than you can. So they often have much shorter generation times and, um, and so they're adapting to your immune system faster than we can adapt to them. So with humans, we can, we have adaptive immune systems. So we can on the fly adapt to the pathogens we meet. Um, and that is really fantastic for developing vaccines. We've just seen with COVID, um, that our immune systems have helped us to combat these new challenges that we're facing. But 
in plants, they're stuck with what they've got. So rather than um, having an adaptive, very specific response to um, to a pathogen, in many cases, plants will will react by producing a general reaction. So they'll, the whole plant will freak out <laughs> um, and that can sometimes give them resistance, but it's not necessarily specific to, to that pathogen. So this is a fungal disease. So how is that responding, I guess, to the way that we are changing bananas? So mutations occur yeah. in um, in pathogens, including fungal pathogens, um, all the time, and they often have very large population sizes. So there's a lot of scope for those mutations to occur and um, and take hold. So if they're if the bananas are standing still, effectively in terms of their adaptation to pathogens, then the pathogens are able to adapt and overcome the the defences of the bananas through those mutations that accumulate. And this is what's happened with the um, with the Panama disease. The Panama disease was responsible for a complete change in the banana um, variety that was grown worldwide. Um, a very popular banana um, was totally perceptible, uh, susceptible to um, to the, the Panama disease. And this led to the Cavendish, which most of us eat now, um, uh, becoming the most widespread strain. Um, and these are grown worldwide and they're, they're a pretty good banana. <laughs> they are. I mean, so I'm from Coffs Harbour. So I, I went into this thinking bananas are a huge export for Australia. They're not, they're like not even in the top 10 or the top 50. They're really far down. But being from somewhere where I was surrounded by bananas growing up, I was like, this is a huge deal. Like we're losing bananas. And even though it isn't probably affecting our economy all that much, it is a pretty big deal because it's a whole plant species that just could be gone. Are we in a way responsible for that because of what we've done with the cloning of the bananas? Uh, yes, I think in many ways we are, but um, the the alternatives are to not grow bananas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we've um, banana growers have probably been pretty responsible and in in the background to this growing problem with a new strain of Panama disease biologists have been um, have been trying to breed in more variation and trying to genetically engineer the Cavendish banana to um, to be resistant to it um, so there's, there's been a, a push and a pull um, with this with this disease genetic engineering it's one of those phrases that I think scares a lot of people. From a, like, when you're looking at it through plant genetics, what does genetic engineering actually look like? Um, there are a, a couple of different forms of genetic engineering. The traditional form is trans, involves effectively transplanting um, genes from one species into another. And this has been pretty successful in, um, in breeding for disease resistance. Um, you take a, um, a, a resistant genotype and you uh, transform that, the gene that can, confers resistance into the, the crop species that you're interested in. Um, and this has been, it's been pretty successful, but not very popular with the public, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, that's uh, probably another conversation. <laughs> um, I think it's just, it's a big scary phrase and people don't really know what it means. Yeah. I think largely it, you know, they picture injecting glowing vials of serums and big things like that when it's, you know, we have what, we have bananas through genetic engineering, we have watermelon, we have citrus, we've got a lot of foods that we've genetically engineered because I guess at the core of it, it comes down to selective breeding mm. is another way of looking at it. This is just more scientific. Yeah, there, 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 
that's a really good way to, to look at it. Um, I, I will say that um, that uh, genetic engineering is completely commonplace in many um, molecular biology mm. labs. Um, so it's it's something that people do routinely to test um, their understanding of how certain genes function. Um, but then deploying them in um, in agriculture is um, is another step that definitely requires um, a lot of thought and understanding of, of what's going on. So you do need to be aware of potential uh, risks to the ecosystems that you're that you're adding these um, these plants to. However, we have been breeding plants for a long time, so we've made enormous modifications to to many plants, including bananas. Um, bananas are very uh, difficult to do traditional breeding with, yeah. partly because they don't produce seeds. <laughs> so you can't easily cross them and manipulate them in other ways that we can with plants such as wheat. So the the new kid on the block when it comes to uh, to genetic engineering is uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 approach, which involves making small changes within a genome rather than transferring genes between genomes. Um, and in many ways, this this causes less impacts on the the other characteristics, the non-target characteristics of the of the plants. Um, but again, these are, these are relatively new technologies, um, and and acceptance by the public is um, is something that's still very much a, a work in progress. There was two options that I think that people have put forth in response to the Panama disease. One was more, I think, genetic engineering to make them more resistant. And one was breeding more variation in to the species, as you mentioned. What are the benefits of either of them? Um, so we've talked a bit about the, the benefits of genetic engineering. Yeah. That, that can bring about a very um, rapid um, shift to in- increase um, resistance mm-hmm. to to a disease, uh, and this is something that researchers at um, at Queensland University of Technology have been um, have been working on and, and successfully produced a, a transgenic strain that is resistant uh, recently. So this is potentially quite attractive, but it will only make the banana resistant to that one. Um, pathogen. In contrast, if you bring in genetic variation from uh, wild relatives of a crop, you have a chance to shift the resistance profile um, of that crop in multiple different ways at once. So cross-resistance to multiple pathogens then becomes a little bit more possible. But it's a much slower process um, and takes a lot more time. So biologists are working on on this from both ends, and hopefully we'll have something that that will outpace the Panama Four disease before it decimates our mm. industry. Does introducing resistant bananas then result in a chance of having the pathogen evolve? Yes, pathogens are constantly evolving, um, and that's one of the that's one of the caveats to genetic um, engineering for resistance. Um, it takes one mutation that might make the pathogen overcome those resistance genes, and then you're back at square one. But this is a it's a it's a something that might take a long time to happen. Um, it's not very predictable, but um, yes, we are absolutely doing that um, by by giving them scope to to adapt to a new um, environment. So would you say that's where I guess introducing the variation sort of shines? Is that also a, a threat in terms of variations? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I think um, one of the suggestions has been to to just grow more strains of bananas, and that is great if they're 
if they're all resistant, <laughs> but many of those strains will be uh, will be susceptible to one or more of the of the major pathogens. And just as we've seen with uh, with COVID recently, um, allowing pathogens to to build up in and persist in largeish populations gives them scope to um, to adapt further. So I think you you do have to be careful about about how to manage more diverse populations. It's not a it's not a, a clear panacea. Uh, sorry, no easy answers. Yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> yeah. that's completely fine. That makes sense, though, because no matter where you are, everything is evolving all the time. Yeah, right. That's yeah. right, and it it really underlines the the need to understand and conserve the wild relatives of the mm. crops that we that we have. Um, so there are global pushes to um, to uh, collect seed and other um, germplasm um, from from wild relatives of crops and also early versions of crops, um, so that there will be capacity to breed in um, traits as they become important. The climate is changing and the traits that are going to be beneficial in crops um, are also changing. Yeah. So what's beneficial now might not be beneficial in 10 years' time. So by maintaining that diversity in collections, we have we will we'll retain that potential. How does a wild banana different to a, a domesticated banana? Because I don't know about our listeners, but if you ask me about bananas, I can name a Cavendish banana and I can name a ladyfinger banana. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> That's pretty, all I know. Yeah, I'm pretty similar, but... Um, I think probably one of the main differences is that um, is that wild bananas are able to produce seeds, um, so there's more scope to to do crossing to um, to breed from those wild bananas. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us about genetics. It's honestly plant genetics are very fascinating, and I think you know anyone in Australia, you know, we've got the big banana. Bananas are pretty <laughs> in, integral to our culture. Maybe it's just me, but you know, I think it's it's really good to hear about the science behind it all. Thanks, Ash.